All right. Let's take a moment. I'm just going to give us just a few, just a beat to quiet our hearts, collect our scattered thoughts, and I'll pray for us. Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you for the gift of your spirit. You, just thinking about that song in the garden, which has been a comfort to so many people, and thinking that, Lord, you are with me. You're with all of us, and would you walk among us? Would you talk with us? Would you remind us of who you are, how close you are to us? Would you do that through your word today? We give you praise and thanks in Christ's name. Amen. All right, we find ourselves in the book of Acts this morning. Take a little break from our series in Colossians to reflect on the meaning of the ascension. And so we're going to be in Acts chapter 1, and I'm going to be reading verses 1 through 11. Friends, this is God's word. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostle whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his sufferings by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Holy Spirit, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And so when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, It's not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up. And a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, As he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who is taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So this coming Thursday marks the end of our 40-day celebration of Easter. And it culminates, it crescendos, and it, it into this moment that the in church history is known as the Ascension, when Christ is lifted up to the right hand of the Father. The Ascension doesn't get much pre- press these days. It is a part of Christ's story that we really don't know what to do with. And part of it is that we don't really have a good handle on what's happening here. Jesus rises into the clouds. And I was just thinking, okay, our faith is a little weird. 
I went outside, I went to the park this week, and I was just thinking, what would it have been like to see Jesus rise from the earth into the heaven? And what was strange as I tried to play it out in my mind is the first question that I asked myself was, how fast did he go? You know, was it really slow? You know, like a balloon's up in the air and you're like, do you still see it? Yeah. I still see him up there. (laughs) Or was it like fast, like a rocket ship blasting into, I think it was medium speed. (laughs) If I just had to guess. So it's just weird from a modern scientific point of view, uh, because we know when you get to the atmosphere, you, you don't live as a human being. We know what's up there. Now, did he grab a NASA sat, like spacesuit? Did he hop in a DeLorean in the cloud and pop into the future? What's happening? And then there's another question, which is more existential in nature. And it's another reason why the ascension is hard to get our minds around. It's hard to celebrate Jesus leaving. The disciples have already lost him once, and now they're losing him again. How do we resolve in our souls that Jesus leaving is better than him staying? It's what causes me to ask questions in my moments of greatest pain and tragedy. It's the question that's there. God, are you there? Are you present with me? Are you with us at all? Or have you left the building? And today I just want us to learn what I think the disciples learned. Um, The thing that caused them not to stay there and just gaze into the heaven, but to move out into the world as his witnesses. And what they learned is that the ascension wasn't the loss of Christ's presence. It was the magnification of it. It wasn't the loss of his leadership. It was the magnification of it. It wasn't the loss of his ministry. It was the magnification of it. So let's talk about that. First, it was the magnification of his leadership. Jesus wasn't leaving the world behind. He was taking control of it. And a good place to start reflecting upon the ascension is just with the word ascend itself. And it really has two meanings. And the first meaning is spatial and literal. Someone can go up the escalator at Shields. They can ascend the escalator at Shields. You can ascend the staircase. But here's the thing. You very rarely use the word ascend to describe such a mundane action. When I'm going up the stairs and Kate says, where are you going? You do not say, madam, I am ascending the staircase to the top of the stairs. For went forth, I will have ascended. You say, I'm going up the stairs. You say, I'm walking up the stairs. It feels fancy or formal to say, ascend. Because ascend has a secondary meaning, which is more figurative or metaphorical. You, you might not say to your wife, I have ascended the staircase. 
But you would say that a king has ascended to the throne or that a politician has rose to power. And what you would be saying is not that that person is literally, physically higher than you. You'd be saying that they've risen to a new place of authority, that they've been given new powers and new responsibilities, that their relationship to you and to the world has changed. And here's the thing. Often those two meanings will be put together for impact. And so when a president is sworn in, he's usually above everyone else. When a king ascends to the throne, did anybody watch the coronation? King Charles? Where does he end up? On a balcony above everyone else. Why? To illustrate visually what's happening metaphorically. And that's what's happening with Jesus. There is an elevation in space symbolizing an elevation in authority and relationship. Jesus is tracing out physically what's happening cosmically and spiritually. And what's happening? He's taking the throne. God is a God who loves to share authority. And he's always wanted a human representative on earth who would run the place as he would. That's what humans are. We are his images, his representatives. We're here to run the world as he would run it. To make the world a place of beauty and justice and love. How did we do it that? We botched the job real bad. And the Old Testament speaks of one who would come. A human man who would come and succeed where everyone else has failed. Who by the beauty of his life would not only save humanity, but would be the human being that God would always want and who would eventually take the reins of the world and direct it to where God always wanted it to go. And you get whispers of what this will be like in the Old Testament. So in Daniel chapter 7, it talks about one like a son of man, one like a human being who would be lifted up on the clouds and taken to the ancient of days, God himself, and he would be given authority and over all power, all authority, and everyone on earth would come to serve him. Or in Psalm 110, which is the most quoted psalm in the New Testament. It talks about God speaking to the one who is greater than David. The Lord speaking to David's Lord. Saying, sit at my right hand. Ascend to the throne. And I will make all of your enemies your footstool. And so, when the disciples see Jesus being raised up and taken up into a cloud... They don't think he's being taken up into the heavens, the skies. He's being taken into heaven, the throne room. This is coronation day. Kids, frozen, coronation day. It's coronation day. 
Let's stay with the Disney theme, Lion King. Lion King's a rad movie. And here's the thing. There's a scene at the end of the movie which I think illustrates this really well. Remember, at the beginning, you have Simba. And he's there, and Rafiki is there. And Rafiki announces him as king. And they're on Pride Rock. And they're holding baby Simba. And, and Simba is marked out as king. But the rest of the story describes his exile into the wilderness, his homecoming. He goes away from Pride Rock, but then he returns. And he has to battle for the throne because Scar has taken it over. Be prepared. And there's this rad battle. And Scar is conquered and it's great. But after the battle, the story isn't over. There's one more key moment. Right after the battle, you think it's over, but the camera pans over to Rafiki again. You start with Rafiki You end with Rafiki, like a John the Baptist moment. And he takes his stick and he points to Pride Rock. And then in slow motion, Simba begins to climb up. And the rain is falling down. And all of the animals bow before him. It's a really important scene. Scar has already been conquered, but he hasn't. He hasn't been installed as king yet. He has to ascend the rock. That's the symbol. And that's exactly what's happening in the ascension. Christ has been signaled, declared as king in his baptism. And he's conquered as a king on the cross and in his resurrection. But he hasn't yet ascended. But here he is installed as king the resurrection tells us that jesus lives forever the ascension tells us that he reigns forever and maybe the application to our life um, i mean maybe it's simple have you ever had a leader in your life maybe it is your a mother or a father Maybe it's somebody at a company or something where the moment they're in the building, the moment they're present, you just feel at rest. Because of the strength of their leadership, you think, well, whatever happens, I'm going to be all right. And when they're not there, what does it feel like? It's so anxious. When I first became a pastor, the lead pastor of the church, Mike Shue at the time, he left for three months for a sabbatical. And that was well-deserved, but I was such a nervous wreck. It was so terrible. I was so, and everybody around me knew it. It was bad leadership. I was an anxious presence, not a non-anxious presence. And I remember what it felt like when he came back and when he was sitting behind his desk. And I took a deep breath. I thought, I think it's going to be all right. Or, it's Mother's Day, so I'll just, I'll, I'll, I'll give a shout out to my kids' mothers. If you were to tell my children, we are going to Disney, and then they would be really happy. But then if you said, and mom's not going, dad's planning the trip, they would say, we're not going. 
we're not going to go on the trip. Because when mom's in charge, you get to where you're going. When Christ is on the throne, no matter what it looks like, you know you're going to get to where you're going. And so, he's on the throne. It's a magnification of his leadership. It's also a magnification of his presence which is paradoxical because he's leaving. How could his leaving mean that he's more present to us and not less? But what's strange is that's exactly what he told to his disciples in the upper room discourse. In the Gospel of John, chapters 14 through 16, he just said, it's going to be better for you if I leave because I'm going to send the Spirit to be with you. So this is just a portion of that long uh, last, last teaching that Jesus gives to his disciples. This is John 14, 16. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you will also live. In that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Imagine how you would see or talk or be with Jesus if the ascension didn't happen. How would you be with Jesus? Well, first you would buy a very expensive plane ticket to the Middle East. And then you would get there and you would stand in the hot desert sun with about 8 billion other people. An 8 billion people long line to get in to talk to Jesus. As long as the man Jesus existed in the world of time and space, he could only be in one place at one time. If you wanted to hear him or relate to him, you had to be in that place at that time. But in the ascension, Jesus leaves the time-space continuum. Yes, I just said time-space continuum. And passes into the presence of the Father. Still our second Adam, but he, he's, he's where God is in God's dimension, now able to minister by his Spirit without limitation. You no longer have to be in a single place in order to receive his love. You never have to be in one place to receive his ministry. All the thing that Jesus did before in his life, after the ascension, he's still doing, but now with access to everyone and anyone in any place all at once. And so the ascension doesn't mean the loss of his intimacy or his ministry or his presence. It means that it's 
infinitely available to all of us all the time. Consider what that means. There's that wonderful scene with Mary Magdalene in the garden. And she's, she's a prostitute whose life had been reformed and renovated by King Jesus. She loved Jesus so much. When Jesus died and she thought that Jesus was taken away for, forever, she was the first one in the garden. And she's like yelling at people about where the body is because the body's gone. She's so frustrated. Then Jesus shows up and she thinks he's the gardener. She can't recognize him at first, but then he says her name. Mary, and she knows it's him, and she comes and she gives him like the greatest bear hug in the world, like she never wants to lose him again. And do you remember what Jesus says to her? He doesn't say, oh Mary, it's been so long, never let me go. He says, woman, don't touch me. Literally, don't cling to me so tightly. And then he goes on to say, because I haven't ascended to my Father yet. It's a strange moment. But Jesus knows that he will be able to be with Mary in such a more intimate way should he go. He's he's saying, Mary, you can hold my hand right now, but at some point you're going to have to let go. You're going to have to go to sleep or you're going to have to eat or go to the bathroom or something. I can't be with you in all of those moments. I can't be with you in this way for the rest of your life. I can't remain this way for for the life of the world. I can't have CNN say live breaking news every day. Four billion people come and touch this little Middle Eastern man named Jesus to get your healing or your hope. No, I need to go to the Father because if I go, I can send my spirit. It's what Augustine said. He said, you ascended into heaven before our eyes and we turned away grieving only to discover you in our hearts. Jesus is telling Mary, you can let go of my hand because I can give you something better than my hand in your hand. I can put my heart in your heart. I can pour my love into your heart by my Holy Spirit. Where you, it's saying in, our, in every moment, the greatest moments, and our moments of deepest pain, in the darkest dungeons, in the crime-ridden neighborhoods, when the medical report isn't what we wanted, when we, it was dumb, we stopped going off our medication and now it's messing with us, when our kid's health is at stake, when our job is on the line, when everything seems to be crumbling and crashing around, the ascension says, I'm with you, I'm closer to you, in your breath. Paul's, Paul says this, I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, nor present nor future, nor height nor depth, nor anything in all creation will be able to separate us, will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ.
It magnifies his presence. It magnifies his prayers. When the New Testament talks about Christ's ascended ministry, it's often his ministry of intercession that it speaks about. We, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago. But in, um, in Romans 8, it says, who is to condemn? Jesus is the one who died more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of the Father interceding for us. In Hebrews 7, it says, Consequently, Jesus is able to save for the othermost those who draw near to him through, uh, not draw near to God through him because he lives to make intercession for them. And what I was thinking about today is Jesus could prayed while he was on earth. Why does it always focus on his ministry of intercession in the heavens? And here's why. Because when Jesus was on earth, he could only pray for one person at a time. He could only, there were times when he wasn't praying. But seated at the right hand of the Father, Christ has the opportunity to pray for every one of us all the time and always. McShane once said, if I could hear Christ praying for me in the next room, I would not fear one million enemies. But distance makes no difference. He is praying for me. What would he be saying? Jesus praying for you always in the next room. What if you could hear his voice? Romans 8 again. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. It magnifies his leadership. It magnifies his presence. It magnifies his prayers. And finally, it magnifies how God can be present to the world because now he's present to the world through us. The ascension, even with all of that, the ascension can still sometimes seem to us like it's a bad plan. Because we say, oh man, evangelism would be so much better if you just would have stayed around, Jesus. Because we could have said, hey, Jesus! He's risen right, he's right here. He's, why did you leave? But, Jesus, but there's these mysterious passages in the Old Testament, like, like John chapter 14, verse 12, when he says, truly I tell, to, tell you, the one who believes in me will also do the works I do, but they will do even greater works than me because I am going to the Father. That one's messed with me for a long time. What does it mean that we will do greater works than Jesus? Well, and here is what I think is the answer. If Jesus was still physically here, we would still be chasing a Middle Eastern Arab man trying to get a quick fix, a quick healing. The airports would be crammed. CNN would be reporting. Jesus says, I can't heal everybody today. You better come back tomorrow. But the beautiful strategy is what Paul says in Colossians. That he, 
he says, it has been my desire in my flesh to fill up what has been lacking in Jesus's afflictions. And what's lacking? Jesus's physical presence in the world. In more than just one place. Jesus traveled a very small distance on this earth. If you were to find a globe and you were to put your fingers around where Jesus hung out, it would be a very, very small portion of the world. But now the Spirit, His Spirit, is alive in you. And it's alive in me. It's alive in every individual believer. The Spirit of Jesus can do greater works because there's more of us. Christ in us everywhere. Which is why he says, go out as my witnesses into Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth. We have people who have the Spirit of Jesus in China, in South America, in Japan, on every continent. The same Spirit that anointed Jesus who now empowers us so we tend to individualize those verses about you will do greater works than me but it's really about the body of christ and we are his witnesses so let's close by putting it all together what does it mean for us that we live in this world where jesus's ministry is magnified His presence is magnified. His prayers are magnified. And his work is magnified in us. It means that when you go out to be his witness this week and you're on your Zoom call or you go to your meeting that you're not looking forward to or you go out as a witness to a conversation with your parents or your best friend or your spouse or your boyfriend that you're not looking forward to, You go out as a witness in your work, whatever that is, or to the store, to the witness, or to the restaurant. When you go out as a witness, when you get to where you're going, Jesus is reigning. Jesus is already there. Wherever you are going, he's there. And whoever you're speaking to, Jesus is already there. Whatever you're afraid of happening, Jesus is already there. The worst case scenario, Jesus is reigning, he's there. Best case scenario, Jesus is already there. Whatever will happen, whatever is happening, whatever has happened in your house, on the moon, in the whole cosmos, Jesus is already there. And because he's there, you need not be afraid. And he is uniquely there in you. He wants to make himself known in and through you. The ascension is the exact opposite of what you thought it would be. Jesus is not the first cosmonaut. He does not have a jet-propelled pack flying off into heaven. Jesus has not been taken away from you. He's been given to you in an entirely new way. He's in a new reality. And if you were to pull the very thin curtain of this world back, what we would see is Jesus on the throne. Jesus always with us. 
we would hear the voice of Jesus always praying for us in the next room and we would sense that we are his unique representatives in the world. It's a good thing to celebrate. You should come on Thursday. It's worthy of a root beer float toast. Let me pray for us. Gracious Heavenly Father, you have ascended on high to the right hand of your Son, Jesus, and we're grateful for that. We're grateful that you're, we don't need to worry or be anxious or afraid because whatever is happening in our life, we know that you're on the throne and that this world is being directed toward its proper end to our, for our good and for our salvation. And so give us that restful peace peace in a world that can often seem so chaotic. And Lord, thank you. Remind us that you are present with us in our hearts. Dwell within us. Help us to know the comfort and intimacy of knowing just how close you are. May the thought of your prayers deeply encourage us and help us moving forward. Strengthen us I just think how, how encouraged I feel when I get the text from my, from my dear ones in the congregation saying I'm praying for you. But there is a sense in which I'm always being prayed for. And Lord, then to have this awareness that not only are you present to me, but you are present to the world uniquely through me. And that itself is an amazing thought. So thank you for the ascension. We praise you, risen Lord, this day. We give you praise and thanks in Christ's name. Amen.